Good morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. We will pick up next week again in Isaiah 49. Uh, But this week, I really want to talk about anxiety, fear, and unity in the life of the church. And that's Philippians 4. So let me just read, and I'm going to read Philippians 4, verses 1 to around 7. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, this is his conclusion. I entreat Judea, and I entreat Sintica to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let's stop there. If you would, let's let's pray for God just to work through his word. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the spirit that takes it. And I know that there are brothers and sisters right now who are in conflict Father, I know that that conflict brings disunity and anxiety and fear. Father, and I also know the power of the gospel for us to take up our cross and die to ourselves in humility, be reconciled, and in that, to show the gospel and unity to the world that does not know you. Father, guard the unity and peace of all our church, and every individual believer's hearts and minds, here we pray. Let your Holy Spirit work now to glorify your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1735, there was a a ship that was heading to Georgia from England. And they were going there to preach to the Native Americans. And it was full of Moravians. Do you know know the Moravian movement in in Germany? An evangelical movement of believers. But also there was John Wesley there on the ship who was the father of the Methodist church. And Wesley had good fellowship with them all the way as they went across. And it seemed that there was little difference in their heart and their faith until they came across a storm. There was panic. The main mast of the ship was split wide open. Wesley was the paid chaplain on the boat. He became panicked and feared only for himself. The crew was utterly overwhelmed that the ship was soon to sink. 
The ship persevered. Not because of Wesley's ministry there, but because of the peace that the Moravians had that while all this chaos was going on, they, they sang worship hymns to the Lord. And they calmly played in the bottom of the ship together in harmony. After this had happened, Wesley asked the leader, August Spangenberg, a German minister, the bishop of the Moravian church, what he thought of his potential to be a pastor. And the conversation went like this. So August said, well, I must first ask you a few questions. John, does the Spirit bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? He said to Wesley. Wesley said, I knew not what to answer. Spangenberg says, well, do you know Jesus Christ? Wesley says, well, I know He's the Savior of the world. Spangenberg said, yes, that's true. But do you know that He saved you personally? Wesley did not know how to answer. Now, what was remarkable to Wesley in the midst of the storm, the peace that the Moravian Christians had in their heart and their mind, and it was that event that went on to lead to Wesley's conversion and his preaching the gospel and the revival that came. Now, in Philippians 4, Paul is writing this letter of rejoicing. And in it, he is calling them to be unified as a church and to have one mind in Christ. And so what we gather is that apparently there were quite a few schisms in the church so that they had lost the peace and what they had gained was anxiety and fear. Now my friends, I want to ask you, in the storms of your life, fear strikes, doesn't it? Bringing one of the greatest tormentors to our soul, and that is anxiety. Constantly bombarding your heart and mind with everything that might happen tomorrow. And the result is to make us passive Christians. How? By elevating the greatness and the glory of a situation while minimizing the greatness and the strength of the God that we serve and who's adopted us into our, His family. Thus destroying peace, unity, and faith in a huge God. And sometimes, like we see in this situation, it can happen because of disunity in the church. So here's our main idea today. It's that peace comes... When you look at every situation in life full of the living God. In other words, peace comes in your heart and mind when you see that your God is sovereign over every situation. Now, there's two things we want to see in this text. First is losing the peace of the gospel. And the second is gaining the peace of the gospel. So look in your Bibles with me at verses 2 and 3. I'll just read that once more. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintica to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have been laboring side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. 
So notice this, there's conflict, isn't there, right? I entreat these ladies to agree in the Lord. So you see, there's two ladies that could not get along. But it's bigger than that. Let me read chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So there's a big problem. It's much larger than just two ladies who couldn't agree. The church as a whole had lost its peace. They're not of one mind. They're not unified. And we see it effectively in the lives of these two ladies. And what does Paul say? I entreat you, agree in the Lord. In other words, he is admonishing them to action, to agree in Christ, to be of one mind. In other words, in humility, consider the opinions of others better than themselves. Now, I want you to catch this. This is what makes this so amazing to me. These were strong believers. These were women who walked with the Lord. Verse 3. Who labored side by side with me in the gospel. Do you see that? They had struggled with him and gospel ministry. In other words, these are women who had gotten their arms dirty in the work of gospel ministry, laboring for Christ in Philippi. And they faced persecution and hardship. They had proclaimed the gospel publicly. They had risked all for Christ, these ladies. So Paul has no question about their faith. He says their name is in the book of life. Here's what I get from that. Even strong believers like Yodia and Syntyche or Paul and Peter can have conflict and that conflict can spread in the life of a church so that you lose peace and unity and are ineffective to glorify the Lord. So how can the church help? Look at verse 3. Verse 3. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these ladies. Do you see that word there, true companion? It means something like yoke fellow. Right? Literally close friend. Maybe this is Timothy. Maybe it's Luke. Maybe it's another lady that just had a close friendship with them. We don't know. But it's a third party, isn't it? And Paul asked that the third party would help That literally means to take their hands and put them together to come along beside them. So Paul exhorts them, agree in Christ, godly women. It's still difficult for them. And then he says, ask a true companion. I want the true companion to come and help bring unity to these two godly women. Now, the truth of the matter is sometimes it is hard for people to agree, even those people who love Jesus, isn't it? Several years ago, I served on a commission, and I, I was asked to give wisdom to a church where they'd let a pastor go, and he decided that he was going to stay in town and plant another church, which the original home church did not want. And they had had several meetings to see if they could bring unity. Now, this was a gospel-preaching church, and certainly this man loved the Lord. And I came in on the last meeting. We had had lots of meetings. And in our last meeting, the two sides 
had set up these huge fences. They were not going to humble themselves. And in anger, they went on their way. The church to call another pastor and to pastor to gather together a small group of angry people and go start another church in a different denomination. And you know what? It broke my heart what I saw there. Because there was a greater commitment to personal agendas and my own glory than the glory of Christ and the agreement of Christ. And Paul is saying, have the mind and the heart of Christ. This is where unity comes from. So my friends, what do you do when you are at a committee meeting or you're at a Bible study and you have friction? You get your feelings hurt. You're not acknowledged the way you think you should be. And the the flesh rises up and the flesh demands justice. And in your mind you think, you know, I am done with this person. I'm done with this church. I'm done with this small group. I add them to the long list of people I am done with. And Paul entreats you here. Agree in the Lord. Now, D.L. Moody says it like this. There's two ways that Christians can unite. They can be frozen together or they can be melted together. First, When you are offended like that, you can freeze together, which means you can, in your anger, reluctantly agree to drop it. But inside, you're still bitter, you're still angry, you're still hurt. So you have two people with hard hearts, not dealing with their sin, remaining together in Christ, and the result is a church full of people who don't like each other who talk poorly about each other. And that is sadly how many Christians handle conflict. But the second thing that Moody says is, you must agree in Christ, which means be melted together. How do you say I do that? Well, your heart is the most deceitful of places according to the Scripture outside of Christ. Always defending you. So, We must place ourselves, our actions, our words, our motives before God in His Word. Because He knows our hearts. And we must ask Him, Lord, reveal my wrongs, reveal my motivation. Then what you have is two people who love Christ more than their own glory and their agenda. And they can come together in the depth of humility, of gospel humility, knowing that they have been forgiven of so much and they have no right whatsoever in Christ to hold such small things against another and seek forgiveness and be granted forgiveness. And what the world sees then is the gospel. Because that's not what the world does. They separate. Now, let's move then to gaining peace in the gospel. You see two ladies losing it. Now let's talk about gaining it. Verse 4 to 7. I'd like to read that once more. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Okay. Don't separate this. Don't separate what he's talking about here from the situation that he's just described. This is his answer to two ladies and a church that are divided. Okay, so what do we do? Notice first verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. What's the solution? Rejoice in the Lord. Have joy in Christ. Paul, it's not a command in the Greek, or it's not an option. It's a command. Always, regardless of your situation in life, regardless of the conflict you're having in particular here with another person, the disagreement, rejoice in Christ. Okay, how do I do that? Because when I think about my conflict with this person, my heart is full of so much bitterness, Rusty. You have no idea what they've done to me, what they've said about me. Well, here's what he says. How? Because you always have something to rejoice in, and that's Christ. That's the reason he says rejoice in Christ. Regardless of your situation, in Him saving you by grace through faith alone, this never changes. So you've always got a commonality with someone to rejoice in. A common Savior and the common Spirit that you both share. And he's saying rejoice in that. Okay, let's go on. Paul moves from the command to rejoice to where the battle is. The great destroyer of joy. Verse 6. Anxiety. Now, he gives three commands. Agree. Rejoice. And now here's the third. Don't be anxious about anything. Let me explain that. Among all creatures that God has made, man is the one that torments himself or herself the most through fear and anxiety about what might happen tomorrow. You see, fear brings the evil of tomorrow square in front of me today, tormenting us today, producing anxiety. The feelings of dread and worry about something anticipated badly in the future, right? And this anxiety then makes today's duties impossible because we are so tormented by some potential evil tomorrow might bring. And Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't let tomorrow bring that torment and what might happen today. Don't be anxious about your taxes, your children, what you said wrong to this person, your car situation that's always in the shop. Okay, how do I do that? Notice his closing thoughts. In everything. Don't, not just don't be anxious. This is what he says. Look in your scriptures with me. In everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request to God. There it is. Everything that you are fearful of, that produces anxiety, that torments you, don't carry them as internal anxiety, but convert them into external requests to God. He is calling you to do immediate battle with those thoughts and fears that torment you. 
So, you're late to work. And you think, my boss is going to kill me. He's going to fire me. And then it turns into anxiety. How am I going to pay my mortgage? I have three kids at university. How am I going to pay that? Well, you pray. God, let my boss be gracious to me. Give me strength to receive what he tells me. And you leave it at the throne of God. And you do it again and again and again if you have to. Now, lastly, he gives the results. Look at verse 7 with me in your Bibles. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. And so, John 14. Let's close with these thoughts. Jesus says something amazing. He's talking about the Holy Spirit there. And he says, peace I give to you, connected to the Spirit. Peace I leave to you, not as the world gives it to you, do I give it to you. Don't let your heart be troubled or afraid. In other words, you're going to receive peace through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay? And what he's saying here is something very, very similar. When we pray... When we cast our concerns upon the Lord, do you see that word in the Scripture, guards? That's a military word in the Greek. And there's two particular places that are guarded. The heart and the mind. The two places that fear and anxiety attack you. In the emotions and in the thoughts. And as you cast your concerns, your cares continuously upon the Lord, not just once, Laying them upon Him. He promises you just what Jesus said in John 14. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, that peace will guard your heart and your mind. John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, he says it like this. In the town of man's soul. (laughs) In other words, in my soul. In your soul. It's patrolled. There's a patrol. It's patrolled by God's peace. And this is how he says it. Nothing was to be found but harmony, happiness, joy, and health. So long as Mr. God's peace maintained his office. How do we think and live this? Well, in your town of man's soul or woman's soul, do you have Mr. God's peace guarding it? Or does anxiety rob you of joy? Close with two things. First, anxiety will lead the best of people to sinful compliances. The end result of anxiety makes today's duties impossible because you're so tormented with anticipation of what might happen with tomorrow. And when we comply with anxiety and fear and let it rule our hearts and our minds, it brings real paralysis of life. An inability to glorify God today because we're so ruled about what might happen tomorrow. At the heart of the problem is man has become too big in our life and our Savior is just too small. So that we focus only on our weakness and our inability rather than the glory, the strength, the power, and the promises that we have from our God. Second, Persistent petitions will lead to the peace of Christ. Persistent prayer will lead to the peace of Christ. 
Whenever people become too big in my life, in your life, too important, too powerful, too controlling, tomorrow's events become all-consuming. God becomes very small, and the result is always fear, leading to anxiety. John Bunyan said it like this, to fear man is to forget God. Or forget the glory, the greatness, and the power of God. So when fear and anxiety strike, you need to practice your faith in a huge God. At the heart of faith is resting in God. Like David says, the battle is the Lord's. And the way you practice your faith is prayer. Casting your requests and your anxieties and your fears continuously on Him and asking that the Holy Spirit would guard your heart and your mind with peace. In other words, Jesus, You promised peace. Give it to me and take this off of me. Now, last thoughts. There must be gospel humility before unity. It means we must see that we have offended and sinned against our Creator. We've refused to obey Him. And yet, while we are still sinners, He sent His Son to die to make peace by taking the judgments that I deserve. And when we reconcile and we forgive, it must be because I am the one who has been forgiven of so much. And I want His glory to be seen even in how I forgive and grant forgiveness. So the church is one. And Jesus says in John 17 that it is through our oneness, our unity, that people see the oneness and the unity of God. And it's also how people see the gospel. If you will not forgive and you will not be reconciled to another and grant forgiveness, what are you saying about how much God has forgiven you for? You see, the world's got to see the gospel I have been forgiven so much that I freely forgive so little. And the unity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how we are unified in thought and word and deed as a church and as people. Amen. Father, I pray right now, and I pray for the Holy Spirit. God, even godly women like Yudi and Sintica, a church, I don't know what their issue was. But I'm sure they're probably similar to our issues. Oh God, You have forgiven us of so much. An eternal weight of sin. Christ took it, that yoke. And I pray, Father, that we could forgive and grant forgiveness in remarkable ways. I pray, Father, with that is hard, that we could seek out a third party, a yoke fellow like Paul talks about, to come in between and to make peace. Lord, and I pray that we would initiate that with boldness. And lastly, I pray for every brother and sister here who struggle with anxiety and fear in the mind who are constantly gripped of what might not happen or might happen tomorrow. And therefore, today is very hard to live for the glory of Christ. Lord, give us the ability just to continuously cast those things upon You and Your shoulders and let our hearts and minds be filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace.
all to the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.